Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest co-host today is David Begin. David, welcome to this episode. Thanks for having me, Henry. I always enjoy being on your podcast. Yeah, this is going to be a good conversation on this episode. David and I are going to discuss the practice and habit of concentrated time blocks of focused work, which, which is critical to completing valuable work. And yet it's becoming increasingly rare in our current lives for all kinds of different reasons that we'll chat about. You may call this time blocking or time boxing, although that's really more about time management. You've probably more realistically heard it referred to as focus time or as we're going to explore, both David and I read Cal Newport's book named Deep Work. Uh, We'll discuss just a few key points from that book. We're going to try to do it justice. But the book, again, is Deep Work by Cal Newport. And we encourage you to read this book to learn more about this important topic. And so that's what we're going to explore on this episode, deep work, especially from a small business owner's perspective. To receive more information about the How of Business, including the links to the show notes page for this episode, and how you can continue supporting my show and receive exclusive content and discounts through a Patreon membership, please visit thehowofbusiness.com. I also want to take a moment to thank a couple of my listeners and a couple of my coaching program clients as well, Sylvie in Minnesota and Blair in Vancouver. Thanks for listening and for the opportunity to serve as your small business coach. All right, let's get into it, Dave. Let's, let's talk about deep work. I think I'll start it off by, by defining the problem. And this is kind of a breakdown that's similar to what Cal Newport covers in the book. But again, uh, let's give you the definition that, that he gives. And again, we're talking about the book, Deep Work, Rules for Focused Success in a Distracted World by Cal Newport. He also authored a very popular book entitled So Good They Can't Ignore You. And he coined that term deep work in a series of articles that he published in his popular blog entitled Study Hacks, Decoding Patterns of Success. So here's his high-level definition of deep work from the book. Deep work is professional activities performed in a state of distraction-free concentration that push your cognitive thinking, so cognitive meaning thinking, reasoning, remembering, your cognitive capabilities rather, to their limit. These efforts create new value, improve your skill, and are hard to replicate. So that's the definition. We'll start with David for deep work. Yeah, yeah, that's such a great definition. And when you think about that, um, it's becoming, as Cal said, and we realize it's becoming more of a rare skill that people have to be able to do this. And, and for many, many different reasons. I mean, we can get into that later, but um, you know, there's a ton of reasons why deep work is so important, but also why many people don't have the ability to do it anymore. Yeah. And he argues that we're losing that. The, the, the opposite is what he calls shallow work, which is non-cognitively demanding logistical style tasks often perform while distracted. So you're trying to do multiple things at once. And these efforts tend not to create much new value in the world and are easy to replicate. And we, we certainly can fall into that mode of operating as small business owners, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the problem we have with being a small business owner is the work that we do is lends itself toward shallow work. Yes. 
because we're, you know, we're firefighters many mm -hmm. times. Mm -hmm. So we're either doing it all or we're doing most of it or we're making sure it's getting done and it's very easy to be distracted. And that was a big problem I had when I owned my businesses in the car wash industry is that that industry lends itself so much to firefighting and shallow work. And when you perform shallow work, you feel like, okay, I'm really getting something done. But if you had to sit down and look at the end of the day, you know, did you really get anything done or not? And I think that's a big question a lot of us have got to ask. And I've been reading articles here recently say a lot of jobs nowadays don't require deep work and people are just, you know, checking emails and answering phone calls. And, you know, as a knowledge worker, are we really producing something unique and are we really improving things in our business? And I, I think, uh, I think a lot of people are challenged with that. Yeah. And, and of course, he speaks to this in the book that even from a career perspective, where what he's predicting is people who can do deep work will be the ones that prosper as as AI evolves, as technologies evolve. So he thinks it's critical to those who are going to be rewarded and, and have success or more success in the future. Yeah, exactly. So the hypothesis that he puts together or puts forward rather about deep work is that the ability to perform deep work is becoming increasingly rare, as we just talked about. And at exactly exactly the time, it's becoming valuable in our economy. And, and like, like I just said, and I think as it relates to small businesses, as you articulated, you were, I think you were a poster child sometimes for what you had to do in the early days of starting your car wash business where you, where you were a firefighter. That's the best analogy for it, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so then it, when you think back to that, I'm curious, when you think back to those days, you know, 10 years ago or more, how, how did you find time for the deeper thinking? When, when did you do that and, and how was that process? I would do that when I wasn't working. I would, I would, and the problem was I was thinking about it all the time. So I never gave my brain a break, not thinking about the car wash and what was going on. And, and that was, you know, not serving me in many different ways, which I think you're going to talk about a little yep, later on, yep. but I just thought about it all the time. And I, you know, as a distractible individual, it just fed, it fed that addiction and it felt like it was okay because I was quote unquote getting things done. I'll give you an example. The reason why I created my new company was because we could never create a policy and procedures manual. It took, <laughs> it was like 10 years before I got a policy and procedures manual and somebody else had to do it because I, I kept trying to do it. And that, that's a, that's one of those functions that requires massive amount of work. Mm -hmm. I think uh, Matt, on the other hand, who works with me, has a tremendous amount of focus. He can sit down for 10 hours and crank more content out than anybody I know. Thank goodness, because I still can't do it. And so he's created this policy procedures manual that probably took him a thousand to 1500 hours worth of work. That's, that's an example of what deep work is. And most of us either don't do it or don't get much of an opportunity to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And as business owners, we develop the opposite habit which is that firefighter mode, the, uh, especially in the early days of starting a business, I have to be accessible and available to everybody. I'm the one that has to make the big decisions. I need to be there every day. You know, it's, it's all the classic stuff. All of the reasons why we, we work towards that owner independent business are all the, for all of those things that we do, those are habits that are contrary to deep work. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels good. That's, that's the problem it does, is, yeah. is it feels good as if you're getting something completed, but to me, it's like eating candy. It, 
it feels good when you do it, but then eventually you're going to get a stomach ache. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, but you know, the other thing is there, you know, where we, we, sometimes I wish we were in jobs and businesses that require deep work. Cal Newport talks about his ability to produce papers. I mean, he's, and, and there's an index he was talking about in the book that professors are judged on, why right? the number of classes they do, the number of papers they produce, if you're in a research institution, he's got a super high score and, and he does a bunch of other things. So he's, he's one guy that has really developed the ability to get a whole lot of things done, even more so than his colleagues are able to do in many cases, um, but because he's, he's mastered this. But most of us aren't put in a position where we have to do this. And I, I almost wish... I was in a position or a job where my job was just to produce content or do deep thinking because going back and forth can be difficult. Absolutely. The other point that he makes is he doesn't do this by working more hours. He purposely does not work in the evenings. I think he doesn't work much on the weekends either. So it's not that he does that by working harder than the next guy, which is again, what we were, I don't know, maybe indoctrinated, maybe our yeah. parents taught us this is the whole what we call work ethic. But there's this sense of pride and a badge that we put on ourselves being, oh, I put in 80 hours this week, right? Well, yeah. And it's this whole mantra, I'm so busy. Like That's right. You, how are you doing? Oh, I'm so busy. Oh, really that, busy. That, that becomes the answer now, many times. And and, and it's and, and I wish if we can communicate anything else is working more is always not the answer. We can always That's throw right. more time at the problem, but we've got to, if we're going to be successful in a small business, if our small business is going to be successful or we want to grow that small business into a medium-sized business, we got to be able to do the right things. And the right things does require this, this deep work. And it requires us to work smarter, which we've all heard, but it also requires us to pick the right things to do and then to discipline or train our brains, not to say, okay, I've just hit kind of a little bit of a lull. Let me get on Facebook and see what's going on. Exactly. Exactly. We, we search for that really quickly. And we'll come back to that because those are such important things. I also want to come back to the, the point he makes in the book about collaborative deep work, because when I certainly when I first started the book, reading the book, I thought where he was going to go is this is all, this is something you have to do by yourself. It's the only way to get into deep concentrated work, but that's not necessarily the case, depending, depending on the type of work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I know, you know, you and I, for example, have locked ourselves into a, a meeting room before and done deep work collaboratively, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that that is not to say the takeaway is not that deep work is always done in, in isolation or by yourself. Right, right. But but sometimes it is. And he yeah, yeah, a lot of times it is. Yeah. Yeah. He talks about how to, you know, define your space. Um, you know, it could be like your office, is your office an easily distractible office or not? Um, he talked about, you know, either, you know, turn off the distractions that are around you. Um, you know, those, those things are super important, but you know, we, we can't, we can't control our environment to a large extent. Those of us who kind of control our, our, uh, our work lives. So, you know, if you're going to do that, you got to create an environment. If you're, you know, one thing with the car wash, which was really interesting, is it, it made such a difference for the administrative staff when I moved out of the car washes, working mm -hmm. in the car washes to yep. an office. Um, because, you know, the administrative people can't get anything done in that <laughs> environment because it's so noisy. 
Right, right. It's just the noise of it and the distractions, and there's always something going on. Or oh, somebody just got derailed in the tunnel. Oh, somebody's not at you know at the, having a problem at the pay station. Oh, somebody, you know, somebody lost their money or whatever it is. There's always something that's a major distraction in that environment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. So to talk a little bit more about the problem, uh, he quotes a a 2012 McKinsey study that found that the average knowledge worker. And as I was thinking about this, as a business owner, I think I would consider ourselves as knowledge workers, but obviously, depending on our business, we may actually have knowledge workers on our team working with us or for us. So you can apply this in many ways. But again, the average knowledge worker now spends more than 60% of their work week engaged in electronic communication and internet searching, with close to 30% of the workers' time dedicated to reading and answering email alone. This is partly what you were touching on earlier, David. Right, um, right. The, the point is that uh, if we have on our team knowledge workers or us as business owners, we fall into that category because we have to produce this content. We have to make decisions about where our business is going or where we're going to pivot or what we're going to add or not add, or if we're going to increase pricing or not. And what's the impact of that? All of those things are knowledge work type activities Yet, as we've just articulated, and this study shows uh, more conclusively, we are so distracted. Yes, yes, incredibly distracted. And doing shallow work, right? Yeah. yeah, so answering emails is shallow work, you know, looking at social media or reading the newspaper online sometimes is shallow work. So, yeah, absolutely. So, you touched on it already, but he lumps all of these technological distractions into what he calls network tools. So that includes email, texting, social media, and, and the like, you know, all of those platforms, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Twitter, all of those, all of those. And his argument, and I agree, is that network tools are distracting us from work that requires unbroken concentration while simultaneously degrading our capacity to remain focused. Now, he goes on, I'm interested in your thoughts on this point. There's a couple points in the book where he thinks that it's irreversible this damage that it does to our ability to go back to focusing. I don't know if I agree with that. What are your thoughts? I would probably disagree with that because I don't believe that I don't believe you have anybody has limitations. So I, I believe if you want to focus on something and do it, you you can you can do it. But I, I might be wrong about that, but that's just my my core belief that you can you can change anything about yourself that you feel like you need to change. Agreed, because because later on, of course, as we'll talk about more, he talks about this being a habit. Now, uh, habits are hard to break and new ones are hard to build, but it can be done. Yeah, it, it can be done. Um, as far as multitasking, this gets into the whole subject of multitasking. I think we're I think everybody's pretty clear at this point that multitasking is not helpful. So you can't really do two or three things at one time. No, no. And they talked about there was one something in his book that was interesting that if people were multitasking and they moved on to the second task, their ability to perform the second task was about 50% of what it needed to be. Yeah. Yeah. So as you know, that's that's one big, big issue is is you know, trying to focus on doing too many things at one time. Absolutely. Uh, and, and then there was a term as well, I'm looking for my notes here, residual, uh, there was a residual, and I, and I know this is that, that switching cost, right? Your, mm -hmm. your brain, if you're working on something important, 
and now you switch to an interruption or something else you got to go take care of or the next big thing, part of you is still thinking about that project or deep work that you were working on. And so that makes you even less focused on the next thing that you're trying to tackle. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're dealing with social media tools that are designed to be incredibly addictive. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, when we're bored or we're, we're stuck or something and we, we don't want to push through the thought process of trying to figure it out, it's very easy to get distracted and, you know, check Facebook or check TikTok or whatever, whatever your thing is. It's incredibly, incredibly easy to do it. It's very addicting and it becomes, it becomes my mental out when I'm tired. I'll just get online and kind of scroll through and see what's going on with the weather or going on with the news or checking Facebook or just to kind of see what's, what's happening. And I think that that's, that's, you know, we're, 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 there's a lot of things out there that are pushing against this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And those are habits or maybe even a level of addictions. Uh, but that's what's happening. If we talk about it more uh, from a business owner's perspective, some of the common distractions you, you touched on it, focusing on too many things at once. So I'm trying to get all of these projects done, all of these things done on top of the day-to-day -day responsibilities that I might have on top of however many people are coming to me, bombarding me with questions or coming to me to make a decision. It, this is why it's so important to continue to build a business that doesn't rely just on you and empowering your people, developing the systems to so that, you know, as Michael Gerber very famously put it in the e-myth, working on your business, not in your business. Right. But that's key. But you touch on it, David. I think that sometimes what happens to us as business owners is we, because we need needed to do that initially, we hang on to that because it feeds our ego to an extent, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. If you're not delegating properly to your team or your staff and you feel like you're the one that's got to come in and rescue it and do it, then there's a lot of problems with that. But with that, it does make you feel better. So when, when you're not feeling better trying to solve a hard problem, your brain goes to, how can I feel better? Mm -hmm. Well, I can step in and take over, solve the problem for people, or I can get on social media. That's right. And get, get a little bit of dopamine hit there or yeah. get distracted, right? Uh, allowing our teams to interrupt us is related to that. We may have conditioned them that they have to come to us for every major decision. We may have uh, enabled them to have poor decision-making abilities. And so all of those things are things we got to look at to see if we haven't created this environment in our small business that creates constant disruption. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And that was my problem for years. And then toward the end of my car wash career, I started asking people to come. If you've got a problem, you better come with a solution. And I sort of had the mantra, I'm not doing your thinking for you anymore. And it was tough to break that habit, but eventually they got pretty good at it, which was encouraging for me. But I allowed it, first of all, because they were afraid to make it as the wrong decision. So I didn't let them make the wrong decision. You know, if they made the wrong decision, there was penalties associated with that. So right. they kind of went, went into, I'm not going to make any decision. So I'm going to ask you on every decision. Plus, I think our younger generations, they want the answers. And so they don't want to risk making the wrong decision because they're used to, I have to have the right answer. And so in many cases, we've got to teach them to think through problems as well. I, I've talked about this in my podcast and probably on yours. There was this whole 
thing about three, two, one, and I can't find where in the world that that is anymore because I've looked 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 it up, but I've heard it where you you say I've got a problem. Here's three solutions that we could potentially do. I'm going to narrow it down to these two, and here's the one I would recommend you would do, and here's why. I tried to implement that. I didn't have great success, but at least it was the idea of I'm not doing your thinking for you anymore. But but I think I think you're not giving yourself enough credit towards towards the latter years. You did have success with that because you really you really believed in it. In other words, I think earlier it might have been something that was interesting. I'll try this, but I was I'm not really buying it. <laughs> but yeah. once you really realize the value of it, I think you were doing it well. Yeah. Like, think, like with when you brought on Matt, I think you were taking that approach very effectively. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think I delegated the decision making. The thing I struggled with was getting people to do this three, two, one idea. Yeah. Because you're developing, you're helping them develop a habit and it's not easy. It requires constant reinforcement. And they also have to trust that this isn't the latest uh, management technique that you picked up at a seminar somewhere, right? That you really do believe this and that I'm no longer going to face the wrath of David if I make a mistake, right? Right. Um, and that you are really empowering me to make decisions and to think for myself. Yeah. You, you have to teach them to think for themselves, which encourages that, but you've got to, like you said, you got to create a safe environment for them to make decisions. Hey, they're going to mess up, let them mess up, let them figure it out. They'll fix it. But it got so much better when people were coming to me with problems and potential solutions, because a lot of times all I had to say was, okay, that sounds good. Let's do that. Mm -hmm. I didn't have, I didn't have to put any thought into it. Yeah. And that's that's the big thing about we've talked about this before, Henry, the decision fatigue that business owners get into because they've got to make a ton of decisions on their own, plus everybody else's decisions. Right. And and at the end of the day, you're just you know, you're you're fried when it comes to to making decisions. So all of those are distractions that keep us from doing deep work. The, The other thing that is a distraction that I think a lot of times we don't think about is our clients, customers, patients. We allow them to, quote unquote, interrupt us. And what I mean by that is that certainly in the early days, we will jump through whatever hoop to land that that engagement or get that customer. Oh, you want it at seven o'clock on Saturday night? Of course, I'll be there, right? So we'll do those things. We will make those sacrifices, understandably, at first. But what I find is then that becomes just the way that you operate. And and first of all, people will abuse that, right? Because they want what they want now. But you have to set boundaries. Otherwise, that consumes your ability to do deep work. Yes. Yes. And I think that's where you come into time blocking. I think we're going to talk about that a little later on. But that's where maybe you block times for different activities. Um, And I worked with a lady when I worked in software. It was interesting. She would never return emails or phone calls until the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And she just said, I I don't don't return calls until the afternoon. And it was the first time I ever heard anybody say that. Yeah. And that, that took some discipline, right? Plus some, plus she may have lost some customers, clients. I don't know what business she was in that were like, Oh no, I'm not going to deal with it. And that's okay. That's okay. Right. These are my rules for me to get the work done that I need to get done. Yeah. And I don't think she probably didn't lose customers. I think she just trained her customers that you'll, you'll hear from me in the afternoon. Well said. And most times nothing's, nothing's an emergency. That's right. Makes it an emergency, but you can, you can talk to somebody in the afternoon. That's yeah. that's okay. Absolutely. Especially if you you in fact do. In other words, is there a difference between having that rule 
or having a rule that says, oh, but now I'm tired now, I'll get back to them tomorrow. And now you now you develop a reputation for somebody who doesn't follow back up. It doesn't right. doesn't return your call. And we've had those relationships as well in business. Sure. Sure. And it seems like more and more often people ghost you and yeah, you know, where where when you and I started in business, it was it was appropriate to follow up with people and call them back. And even if you had to say, no, we're not going to do it. Um, you know, you went, you went to those, those levels of, of uh, you know, you would do that, but now people, a lot of people just don't do those things, which drove you and I crazy, but we've accepted. That's the way it is. <laughs> exactly right. It drives everybody crazy of our generation in particular. Um, so we touched on switching costs and I just want to briefly summarize on that point, because I think it is a misconception that you can do any kind of significant or deep work simultaneously juggling multiple projects. It just cannot be done. They've done multiple scientific studies, evaluations. Lots of people have written about this. It just doesn't work. And you can do it for superficial tasks for those kind of things that don't require deep thinking. But, but if it's a major project or something you really got to spend some time on thinking about, you have to focus on that one subject. Yes. Yes. You had so mentioned that, it, but in the book, he calls it attention residue as well when you try to switch from one thing to another. That's correct. Yeah, that, that's where that 50%, you're only able to focus about 50% because of the residue from the other task. The danger is, again, as he argues in the book, that you can lose your ability to perform deep work. We already expressed our opinion on that. But I think what he, what I will take from that is that as with any other habits, the longer you ingrain a habit in yourself, in your organization, the harder it is to change, right? Right. And I think it gets to that level where it becomes an ingrained habit and your brain becomes rewired. So mm -hmm. you rewire your brain for distractions. And I think that's where maybe it gets more difficult to, to change that. You can do it, but it's much, much more difficult to try to change it versus keep it. Yeah. So that's a lot of what the, the problem is and how we've experienced it, how we see it in small business. Let's shift now to briefly the opportunity. And then what are some of the rules as some of them that he puts forth in the book and some of them that you and I have learned from different sources, different things that we've read, different practices of our own. But the opportunity that he shares to summarize it, which I think is interesting, is he says that deep work leads to two core abilities that are needed to thrive in the new economy. And that is number one, the ability to quickly master hard things. So deep work helps you quickly learn hard things. And number two is the ability to produce at an elite level in terms of both quality and speed. You know, you, you mentioned the point about how many of these papers he can produce without adding extra hours just by being focused. So deep work helps you produce at an elite level. I want to talk about the first one uh, primarily, and I wanted to ask you, as I was doing the research and reading the book, I was thinking about you on this point about the ability to master hard things. You have always, one of the things that has always impressed me about you is the ability you have of learning new things. For example, when you got your pilot's license, but more importantly, not too long ago, when you got your commercial rating. Now, yeah. You were doing that in the middle of juggling. All, this was, you actively had the car washes, you were juggling a lot of things. How did you find the time to concentrate on that deep work? Well, it was something I enjoyed, I think, 
which made a big difference. I think when you enjoy what you're doing, it makes concentration a lot easier. That that's one of the things. The rest of it, I don't know. I mean, I just used to work like a maniac. You know, when I when I <laughs> the car washes, I was working all day and all night a lot of times. And when you and I were trying to start multiple businesses, we had a lot of different ideas and different thoughts going on. And we were, I was working eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night, most, most nights. So I was throwing quantity at it. I don't think I was throwing quantity. Uh, I wasn't throwing quality at it. Um, so do you think it took you then as a result longer to get your commercial rating as an example than it would have if you had blocked out some deep work time? I think I did it within a pretty reasonable time frame, but I I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I don't know how I did it. I just, <laughs> well, I, one day, one those... way you did it, you spoke to, which is you sacrificed a lot of other time. In other words, you just threw in more time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't very, I was never very good of how do I utilize my time? It's only here recently, but that's become top of mind for me. But I, I considered my time like, an unlimited resource. Yeah. And I, I, I paid the price for it. I think I've paid right. the price a little bit from a health perspective. I think I've paid the price from a, you know, I didn't spend as much time with my kids as I probably would all like to have, where I think you did a better job of focusing on that. Um, I felt like if I was providing for my family, then that was the most important thing. And, you know, they'll, they'll love me if they get to go to college, you know, right. <laughs> but that, that wasn't right. I didn't, I never, prioritize those things that I should have been prioritizing and work was always the number one, number one thing. And, yeah. and there's, there's some real regrets in there for me that I wished I would have done it differently. Sure. Yeah. You sacrificed some things that now looking back, you wish maybe you had not sacrificed as much. And right. Yeah. Okay. So, let's go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. So I, I didn't, I didn't really have to, right. I, I, th this is great information for me now and I'm trying to apply it, but I never, I never applied it. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and if somebody would have told you to, you would have just completely ignored it. <laughs> well, because I didn't know how to do it, right? I didn't, yeah. nobody ever said, hey, Dave, why don't you think about working smarter? Because that's that's how we did it in the software business. Yeah, we worked yeah. harder, right? We that's the way we learned. But, but, but the thing is, though, it gets more ingrained because, hey, look, I'm having success, right? Yeah, yeah. I, my career progressed and then my businesses are flourishing. So what are you arguing with? And that's, I think that's also goes back to why Cal makes the point, in my opinion, in my interpretation as to why it's hard to reverse once you're down that path. That's right. Because there, there, there's a lot of things that come alongside you and say, you're doing great. You're that's doing right. good. You're working hard. You know, there's nothing. And, and all of those external signals of success are blinking green. They're saying, yes, yes, yes. You Look, you've got two of the most productive car washes in the industry. You, you had success in your career. You're a pilot. You've done this. You've done that. Uh, you must be doing it the right way. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So, but. okay, let's talk about some of the rules. And some again, again, these are some of from the book, and some of that you and I have have learned and applied from other areas and our experiences in life. But he talks about picking a depth philosophy, and this is what I took from it. Tell me if you got a different interpretation. Essentially, to simplify it, that you have to either choose an approach where you eliminate everything else, maybe like the the person you just mentioned where she doesn't answer emails or anything until the end of the day, or you do time blocking some approach to that effect. I think that as small business owners, 
most of us, as we just talked about, can't get away with saying, I'll return your call tomorrow or to my manager, hey, I'll talk to you next week. I'm deep in a project right now. So I think we have to take the time blocking approach to our depth philosophy. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I would say the vast majority of what the type of work that we do and our the listeners on this podcast do is probably more conducive to time blocking. I think it is difficult to eliminate um, eliminate and be, because the jobs that we do don't really require it. If you're if you're a solopreneur and you doing like like a doctor, for example, you're, you're dealing with patients. You're not making money unless you're seeing patients. So you can't eliminate that. So you've got to you've got to go into a time blocking mode. Exactly. All right. The, the next thing that he talks about is ritualizing. And I do, I do believe in a lot of this, just to continue with the example of a doctor, one of my coaching clients is a doctor. And for her, one of the things she's trying to do is again, work on her practice, not as much in the practice, which for her means less hours with patients, understandably. But she finds that if she's there physically at the practice, she gets sucked into it, right? Um, so she's best, it's best for her to do her deep work or her outside of seeing patients work somewhere else, home office, wherever else it might be. And I know for you, again, and I fought you for a long time, but but the, the desire to have a separate physical office away from the car washes was was huge for you when you made that move, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, it really got us focused, got the administrative team doing what they're supposed to do, got me from showing up to the car washes every day, which wasn't necessary since I hired Matt. So it made a much better, much better environment from, from getting a work, work to getting work done. What is there? I know for me there is, but what times of the day are best for you to block out deep work time? I'm, I'm much more productive in the morning and typically early morning because we're, we're, we're early risers. We get up, you know, around five o'clock. And so I usually block off a couple hours in the morning to get other things done. And about seven o'clock, I'm raring to go. Um, I usually am at my desk somewhere around seven and I've got two or three hours, probably till nine or nine 30. That is probably my best time. So early morning for me, how about you? Early morning is the worst time for me because that's usually when I'm getting my best sleep because I have so many sleep issues. So my productive deep work times are actually sometimes in the evening. Um, or it could be, you know, 10 a.m. to lunchtime. I have a productive window there. After lunch, as most people do, it's a lull, right? Because I'm processing the food. So, so I have these blocks in the day, usually in the evening. Sometimes I do most of my writing at night. And that's when I get into another productive mode. Yeah. I think that the takeaway here is a couple of things I want to talk about. First is you have to, you have to understand and acknowledge your personal rhythms for and whatever influences that. The challenge though, for small business owners and why your model typically works better is that morning is when you're more likely to not be interrupted by your staff, by your team, by the operations of the business, right? So yeah. often for small business owners, if you can block out and if you are productive in the morning I, before your business starts, I think that's the most powerful time to do deep thinking if possible. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people use that 5 a.m. time to kind of do their journaling and writing. There's been some books that have been written about getting up early and doing those things. And for me, it was just nice having that time that especially with the car wash, the uninterrupted time before the car wash opened. 
you have a home now, you're an empty nester like I am. So finding quiet space is not a challenge, but back when you had the kids at home or if you have visitors or whatever, where, where, what are some of the places that you go that are conducive to deep work? Yeah, I had an office downstairs in the basement, kind of far away, and I could close the door if I needed to. So that worked well for me. And it also opens up the whole conversation, Henry, about this work from home philosophy. Do you think people are more productive or less productive at home? I think it's a really, I think it's the big question of our current era. I think it depends. I think that what you're going to find is the reason why corporations in particular, maybe not so much for their knowledge workers, are, but they're anxiously awaiting the opportunity to say, come back to work. It's just right now they can't get away with it, right? Because the employees have more control right now because it's such a tight labor market. But I think that there are so many distractions working from home for most people. For me, it's fantastic, but I've been doing it for 20 plus years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I think that if you can create a space that is separate and allows you to concentrate and do deep work, then yes, it's fantastic. If your space doesn't allow for that, for all kinds of different reasons that might happen at home, then you're going to have a hard time doing deep work in that space. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it goes, yeah, this whole work from home idea, it'll be interesting I, if, which way it goes. And I, there's yeah. arguments for both sides, right? You, you don't have the, the commute issues. You don't have the expense issues that you have by going into an office, but you also miss the collaboration in an office. And a lot of people don't like working at home. So what, what are they you know, what, how, what do they do? Exactly. So, and I think, well, I think what's happening is the in-between, the hybrid, which is part of what we're trying to serve with our, the business that I'm a minority partner in Office Evolutions, which is to provide a co-working or shared space that's close to home, but not home. Yeah. Yeah. And that's another solution for people if they need to get work done. And for your doctor client, for example, maybe working at home isn't effective for them and working at the office isn't effective, maybe getting a shared space that they can go to one or two days a week where they're going someplace completely different where they, they don't have the distractions might be helpful. Absolutely. We, we have plenty of clients that do that, that come, they, they are home-based, home office, but when they need to do that concentrated work, they'll come and rent the small conference room and lock themselves in there and do deep work. I do think I have found over time, even though I work from home very effectively, nonetheless, I have used sometimes changing it up. I might go to a library. I might go somewhere else where I can find a quiet space. I'm not a cafe type of person because I get distracted, but everybody's different. So find the point here on ritualization is to find what is it that is conducive to your thinking um, and producing great work. You know, you, you and I are going to hopefully go to down to Key West later this year. Uh, we were going to, and then it got postponed by COVID, but we're going to go see Hemingway's house, right? So Hemingway, when we go see mm-hmm. that house, you'll notice that over the carriage house, a separate building where they used to put carriages and then those became garages. And the second floor was his writing studio. And then there's a little catwalk that goes from the second floor of the main house over to that studio. And so that's where he would go religiously every day. I forget how many hours he would block out and he'd go write. Famously, he was asked, you know, how are you so prolific? How is it that you write? And he says, I just write every day. I just write every day. Mm -hmm. 
But that was his space where he was conducive to him. And of course, he had multiple space because he only lived in Key West for a period of time. He did the same thing when he lived in Havana, excuse me, in Cuba, not in Havana necessarily. But the point is that that deep work that's required for creativity or anything related to our business, sometimes we have to find the right space that motivates and is conducive to it. Yeah. And I would put you know Hemingway in that category of people that have to do deep work. Their work is deep work. And That's so right. they don't, they don't, they don't have a choice. If they're going to get it done, they've got to develop a deep work, a deep work mentality like that, where they can sit and do something for hours and hours and hours. And that, I think that's way on the other end of the spectrum from most of us where we've that's got right. to figure out how to do a hybrid. I, I wish we could, we could be like Hemingway where we, we didn't have any distractions. Our job was just to write a book and we could focus that all our efforts on one thing. But the reality is, as business owners, it doesn't work that way. In fact, going back to the point I made earlier, often it's collaborative deep work. And, and Cal Newport talks about this in the book as well. I mentioned that you and I have done some of that. But, but one of the ways I also see business owners doing this effectively is taking your leadership team offsite or one or two of your key people somewhere other than the office where you lock yourselves in a meeting room and you, you think together. And I think that's a very effective way to address it in small business. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, you know, Matt, Matt and I will take a day and go skiing. And if we're not already up in Breckenridge, we'll drive up there. And that's two hours of time that we've got together to talk about things. And then yes. when we're skiing you know, on, the, on the chairlift, we're talking about things. And in the evenings, we're talking about things. So just getting yourself out of that environment or your normal environment sometimes makes a big big impression. All right. As we've touched on to me, the approach that we have to take as small business owners is to be ruthless about planning and time blocking. Uh, I like to take the approach of planning out my week, but then on a day-to-day -day basis, of course, you're making adjustments for the reality of what might've come up, but trying to block out those focus blocks or focus times and being realistic. In other words, it's not realistic if you've never done any of this to say, oh, okay, well, Wednesdays, I'm going to block out the entire day for deep work. That's not going to work. That's just setting yourself up for failure. In fact, I think for me, this is what works for me, that if I try to do deep work for more than about an hour, I start to, you know, my abilities start to wane there towards the end. That's my attention span for a lot of deep work. For mm -hmm. you, it might be different. You have to find out what works for you, right? Yeah. And I think mine is probably around an hour. I think Cal Newport talks about the window is usually for, for the people that are really good at it is about a two, three hour time block. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I want you to think about if you're not doing this to work up to that, don't, don't set that as a goal your first week in blocking out deep work time, because you're going to be frustrated when you fail at it. You have got to first set up this environment. You first have to show your people and train them and, and educate them on how you want this time to be respected. And you have to have done a lot of the work ahead. Of, if you are in an environment like we described, where everybody has to come to you to make a decision, everything has to go through you, where you're going to find it hard to block out much time then that's uninterrupted. Right. So I think you have to begin to address those things first, but start small by blocking out ideally for most people in the morning before your team comes in, before you open the doors for business, that's usually a sweet spot for most people. 
Yes. Um, block out that one hour there, maybe once a week to begin with, and then grow it from there. That that's my recommendation. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Just find a time and start telling your staff, Hey, this, I've got an hour here. I've got to get something done. If you'll hold your questions for an hour, typically nothing's an emergency and they can wait until you're finished. He recommends quitting social media. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's a great idea. I don't think most of us can't do it. <laughs> I don't think so. But I think we've become so dependent on it yeah. that it would be hard to quit altogether. Now, my excuse is, well, I'm monitoring it for my businesses, right? Because I'm responsible for the Facebook page. and a, But it, but it's that's true. But I still could just do that in... I could probably do that in two hour blocks of time a week. And then the rest of the time I could have it shut off. Yeah. I think if you put it in a block, if you're highly addicted to it, maybe give yourself 30 minutes toward the end of the day as a reward. But he recommends taking a, a vacation from it for 30 days and seeing how you do. And I think that would be a great exercise for most people. Say, I'm not going to get on Facebook for 30 days and see if your life's any better or any worse. And most people will say it was a lot better. I think that would be a great experiment. I think that yeah. would be a great experiment for most people. I did that once with television. My television, I moved from one apartment to another and my TV broke. I only had one at the time. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go without. And I did it for a year and I learned a lot. You know, I learned that first of all, I didn't die. <laughs> so yeah. I survived. I'd even not be able to watch my sports. I survived. And now when I moved here, I used to have direct TV. So I'd get all the live channels, ESPN and all of that. I don't have any of that now. And every once in a while, I think, God, I wish I could watch what's going on in sports, but, but I don't, I don't miss it now yeah. that I've gotten past it. Yeah. So, we, it, so it is an addiction that we have to this stuff. It really is. It really is. And it's designed to be addictive. That's the it thing is. that, that it, it, it's insidious what they do to develop these applications and the way they give us their scroll with feeds and keep us interested. And now, you know, there's these short, like TikTok type videos that are on Facebook. And I sometimes get fall down the rabbit hole of watching those, <laughs> which are stupid. And I'm like, what am I doing? It's, it's, so, it's, it's great. It's amazing. Uh, well, TikTok in particular, I mean, TikTok is the champion. Their, their algorithm is uh, at another level. We could do a whole nother show about how effective their algorithm is to serving you stuff that keeps you engaged. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've, I, I'm not, I'm not on TikTok. So good for I'm you. Just, I'm, I'm, I'm fighting Facebook and other things, but you know, these other Instagrams and TikToks, I'm, I'm going to pass by those. All right. One, one other point I want to touch on, which you, you kind of, we've kind of touched on is he talks about being lazy and, and that again, you, you and I chat, chatted our, our background is to not be working we feel guilty. We feel like we're doing something bad. We're not putting in all of our effort, but it's in that downtime that's so valuable. Not that you're doing deep work in that downtime, although insights might come to you, but it, but it recharges you to be able to then do the deep work. Yes. And I still struggle with that when yeah. I'm not working at night or working on the weekends. I feel like, Oh, I could be, you feel guilty. Done. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm hoping it's going to get better. I think it will get better. But when I'm not working in the evenings or weekends, I still struggle with it. Dan Sullivan refers to this concept in part as free days, right? Yeah. And I, the idea about free days with Dan Sullivan was it, it's a great, it's good for you as an individual, but it also becomes a demonstrator to you that your business will still run. So it, it also lets you know where the holes are in your staffing. He's very big about developing a self-managed company. 
which, uh, you know, is what you're focused on well with, with your coaching and consulting. But, you know, a free day does two things. It helps the individual, but it also lets you know, you know, gives your team the ability to show that they can, they can do the job. That's right. Right. And it allows them to be empowered to, to, to make decisions. And that's critical. Right. All right. We'll start to wrap it up. I, I think, you know, the, the, the big, the couple of big takeaways that we'll start to articulate here, David, what is that? If you're in any kind of position, certainly as a business owner, or you're aspiring to become a business owner, but this applies even if you're in a career, the ability to do deep work is important and will become ever more important as we move into this future that brings in technologies and complex tools and AI and so forth. That's the argument that he makes. And I agree with it. I see it even regardless of that in small business, the small business owners who get their businesses to the next level have this ability to do deep work. And in part that when some of the, the, the spinoff values or, 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 uh, I don't know, benefits, if you will, are what we've talked about, that your staff now is empowered and properly developed to make decisions so that you're not having to make all those decisions. So that's, that's a byproduct of you being able to take those concentrated chunks of time where you're uninterrupted. Yeah. Right. But these are habits and habits, especially as we've said, that have been deeply ingrained are hard to change. So understand that, go into it with that concept, just like any other habits, whether they're eating habits or health habits or whatever it might be, you really have to put in the effort to change these deeply ingrained habits, right? Yes. And this could be the most difficult habit to change of all. I think so. I think so. This is, this is not easy. And that's what I think he, he speaks to in the book as well as to how, how uh, eroding and how corrosive this can be and how difficult it is to change to the point where he believes that that it may not be possible to change once you go too deep into the shallow end of thinking. Yeah. Yes. Um, I thought I'd share, we've shared a lot of tips, but I want to share, and then I want you to think about maybe one other, uh, it might be a simple tip, but I'll tell you a hack that I applied for myself. And then I'll share with you kind of the next step that I'm going to take with this. It's been about four years, probably longer now. I used to have for my Outlook email, where every time I'd receive an email, it would notify me, you know, at the bottom of the screen, it pops up mm-hmm. new email. And I loved that, right? That was a little dopamine rush. It's almost like when you get a text message, oh, somebody must be, somebody must be needing something from me or <laughs> some new information, right? Yeah. It'll distract me from this work that I'm doing that maybe I don't really want to do. Um, I turned that off and that was, that little tiny little thing was magical for me in improving my ability to concentrate and my productivity. What I'm working on next when I'm doing deep work is of course to have email shut down altogether. Because what I find is that even it's not, even though it's not alerting me, my mind is saying, go check email. Hey, go check email. Hey, go see if maybe somebody email. Maybe, maybe you got that response you've been waiting for, for that new client that you've been trying to land or whatever it might be. Yeah. And yeah. also, of course, turning off my, my phone so that it's on silent and I don't hear it buzzing. Because that's another thing that we are just conditioned to, no matter how much we think, oh, I heard a buzz. I'll check it later. You're, there's a part of your brain that's saying, go check it, go check it, go check it. So that's one simple productivity hack that allows me to have when I do am doing deep work to stay focused and minimize my interruptions. Yeah. Is there something like that, that that you've been applying recently that helps you? Yeah, 
I think in the last six months, I bought this little application called Freedom. And what you can do is you can go online and say, I want to, I want to shut everything off on my PC for an hour. And so it doesn't allow you to check email. It doesn't allow you to go to the internet and you can work on other programs, but you can't, you can't work on the ones that are distracting. And then if I try to go there, it says, oh, you got another 35 minutes to go. And it, it shuts, shuts everything off on your PC. So it's, it's, it's a cool little tool. And I think it's, it's helpful. Yeah. I love that. Especially um, when you're first developing that discipline and breaking that habit of con consistently checking email. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other one is I bought a clock. I've got a clock that has a regular clock on the left and on the right, it's got this dial, this red dial that sort of covers the time. And then if I want to set up an hour, I can set the timer for that. And I see this red dial going around and removing more and more of the red. Interesting. <laughs> and, and so if you want 30 minutes or an hour, you can set that up and, you know, say I want an hour, you set it up and then you watch it kind of tick down. Very so, great, great tools. Yeah. And then the, this is a physical clock we're talking about. Yes. Uh -huh. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Wonderful. Great. Thanks for sharing those, those two tips. Uh, as we've alluded to, we, we, we've spoken about related topics to this in previous episodes. Just want to highlight a few of them and I'll have links to them in the show notes page for this episode at thehowofbusiness.com. But on episode 283, I interviewed Chris Ward and we talked about time management techniques. On episode 52, I had Lauren Midgley on and we talked about productivity and, and also some of her time management techniques. And then I did a solo episode, episode 232, where I talked about more of these types of personal productivity tips and hacks. So those are some other episodes of the How of Business that you may want to listen to as you're developing the, the skills and the habits that help you get to more productive, deep work time. So let's summarize it. Key takeaways from each of us, David, uh, on why deep work, especially from a small business owner's perspective. I mean, he summarizes it. If I took one sentence out of his summary chapter, it, it's this deep work generates a life rich with productivity and meaning. Um, there's a lot in that statement, but what I take it and how I translate it to me as a business owner, this influences so much about being a business owner that it's so powerful because again, as we said, it allows me, if I, if I start to develop this habit of blocking out deep work blocks of time or focus blocks of time, it means if I can do it successfully, it means that I have started to, or I have developed a business that isn't completely dependent on me, that I have put in place people and I have empowered them with uh, training and with systems that allow them to operate the business to a great extent. I'm not saying it operates without me entirely, but I am able to then dedicate time to thinking about where I take the business next, to making those hard decisions about the business that someone has to make that require deep thought. And that's going to make me so much more fulfilled and not feel like I'm running around like a crazy person trying to spin all of the plates to keep my business or multiple businesses going. So that's, that's what, at the end, what I take from all of this and how important deep work is. What are your final thoughts? Yeah, I think if you're going to have a successful business, you've got to be able to do these things, first of all. Second of all, think about people who are in careers who, if you say, oh, that Henry Lopez, he can get things done. He gets so much done. Well, the only way that Henry gets to do that is if he focuses on deep work. 
And so if you want to be somebody who's going to be, you know, if you will always have a place in this world, if you can get deep work done. Mm -hmm. And in this day and age, I think that's a great, that's a great thing to have on your resume, you know, that you can, you can get things done. And at the same time, we're in an era with the most number of distractions keeping us from that deep work. Yeah. Fighting for that time in our minds and in our lives to keep us away from that deep work. So we have to be ruthless about, about blocking those things out, about saying no, and about developing this habit and being selfish about getting this deep work onto our schedule on a consistent basis. Agreed. All right. We'll wrap it up then, David. Any last words before I wrap it up? No. Thanks for having me on this podcast. Enjoyed it and uh, love talking about these types of topics. Yeah, this is this is huge for both of the, both you and I. We've seen it impact our lives from both sides. And so that's why I wanted to have this conversation with you. I wish all of you listening the best as you start and grow your successful and profitable small business. This is Henry Lopez. My co-host today was David Begin, or is David Begin? He hasn't passed yet. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The How of Business. I release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find the show anywhere you listen to podcasts or at my website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.